Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, where we interview UC Escola about real estate investment trusts or REITs. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Scott Trench, and with me today is my MVP CFP co-host, Kyle Mast. <laughs> hey, Scott. Good to be here. All right. Kyle and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else. To introduce you to every money story and every type of real estate investment or other investment, because we truly believe that financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. Whether you want to retire early, travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate or start your own business or learn about new investment opportunities, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can just launch yourself towards your dreams. Kyle, I cannot be more excited about today's episode. You see, is just the kind of perfect guest to talk about REITs, real estate investment trusts, a publicly traded, uh, in many cases, way to get exposure to real estate. An asset class has been hammered over the last 18 months to the tune of like 30% across the board and just maybe presents a tremendous opportunity that we've been ignoring or overlooking here at Bigger Pockets. And wow, is this guy pretty smart on this topic. This is a must listen episode. 100%. This this is exciting. I mean this guy knows his stuff and this is definitely a neglected topic in the real estate sector. So this is people are going to get a lot out of this episode. I'm excited for everyone to listen to this. It's going to be great. All right. Next up is our money moment where we share a money hack tip or trick to help you on your financial journey. And today's money moment is take care of your health. Drink water. Take vitamins. Get in some sunshine. Go to the annual checkup, get that workout in. This may not seem like a money tip, but staying in good health can save tens of thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars in the long run. Uh, you'll earn more money, you'll have more energy, you'll spend less on healthcare, um, and you'll be better looking. Um, all things that contribute to financial success in the long run. So do you have a money tip for us? Email moneymoment at biggerpockets.com. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate 
to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. UC Escola is president of Leonberg Capital, a boutique advisory firm specializing in real estate investment trusts. UC also writes the number one REIT investment newsletter on Seeking Alpha, which I am a subscriber to and follower of, and has a YouTube channel where he discusses REIT news and investment ideas. UC, it's so great to have you here on the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for, for inviting me. As I was telling you before this, uh, before we started, this is my very first podcast ever, so I'm very excited. Awesome. Well, we're honored uh, you came on here first and, and really grateful. So would you mind starting off things by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you became interested in real estate and investing? I come from Finland. I, I was born in a family of real estate professionals. So I've been going to from one construction site to another already from a very early age. Um, I, I decided to go into real estate quite early as well. Basically, during high school, uh, I was already running my own small business. It was an e-commerce business, and I was earning a bit of profits already from it. Uh, at, and so I bought my first REITs at about 15 years old. Already back then, I was very interested in real estate investing. I, I really loved this idea of being able to buy your property with the bank's money, have your tenant reimburse it. And by the time your, your mortgage is paid off, you own a property free and clear that has likely gained a lot of value. But back then I wasn't able to, to buy real estate just yet because the profits were not quite large enough. So, so I bought REITs instead. And so that was kind of my introduction to REIT investing. Later on, I went to study finance with a specialization in commercial real estate. It's quite common in Europe uh, to specialize quite early on, already at the bachelor level. So that's what I did. Um, I also did the, the, the CFA curriculum, I passed three levels. Then I landed my first job in private equity real estate in Dallas, Texas. So I was there for a little while, but eventually I wanted to set up my own thing. And so that's what I did. Awesome. And can you, can you define REIT for us, for the, for the audience? What is a REIT and are there special rules or differences between a REIT and a public stock uh, company, for example. Yes. So REIT stands for Real Estate Investment Trust. It's it's essentially a, pub, a company, a, a corporation uh, that holds a lot of real estate uh, for the purpose of generating rental income. And it has, it enjoys special tax benefits. And so you have to fulfill a bunch of uh, different uh, requirements. One of them is that you need to pay out 90% of your taxable income in the form of dividend, but there are, there are many other requirements. And if you, if you fulfill those, then you can, you don't have to pay any corporate taxes. So that's the main benefit really of the REIT uh, structure. Uh, they can be private. They can be public. In my case, I'm mostly invested, interested in the publicly listed REITs. Um, but yeah, so in short, that's, that's what a REIT is. You see, what, what you are an expert at analyzing and evaluating the prospects and uh, uh, potential, the, retur the returns, whether the, whether REITs are going to perform well or not. 
Um, how, how does one analyze the performance or expectations of a REIT? Uh, do we look at the net asset value of the properties underneath them? Do we look at the income? Do we look at a combination? How do you make these calls and how have you developed the expertise in, uh, in, in, in making these judgments about the potential of, of these opportunities? Yeah. So that's a good question. I think it's important to start here by, uh, you know, remembering that, that a REIT is a real estate investment. So. A lot of the things that you will look in a real estate property uh, will also apply to REITs. So the first thing that you might look for is what are the properties that the REIT owns? What's their quality? What's their rent level? What's their occupancy rate? All these same factors that would typically be interested in as a real estate investor. But then beyond that, because these are large corporations, you also need to uh, analyze quite a bit their management. Is the management good? Is it well aligned with shareholders? What's their track record? What's what's the strategy that they are following? Is it really creating value for shareholders or are they trying to extract value for themselves in the form of fees or salaries? Um, then the, the balance sheet obviously is very important, especially today in today's rising rate in, environment. So, so you look at a lot of different metrics. So we can discuss those a bit later. Also, if you want to in more detail, but things like debt to EBITDA, uh, the loan to value, um, but yeah, so in short, you know, you're looking at the same things you will be looking in a private real estate investments, but then you'll add some additional elements. See, these are large publicly listed companies. Awesome. So what, what's the difference between a, a REIT and a syndication investment? So those a, a syndication uh, will typically be a private vehicle. So you're not going to have as much liquidity in most cases. Uh, they're also typically going to be smaller in size, so much more concentrated. Um, the management will typically be external, which leads to greater conflicts of interest and less uh, economies of scale because the, the sponsor will typically charge a fee based on the assets and the management, as well as maybe a cut of the profits on the back end, maybe also some acquisition fees, some disposition fees, and so on. Whereas a REIT typically is going to be public, it's going to be liquid, it's going to be enjoying significant economies of scale because of this, uh, because of its scale. Uh, the management will typically be internalized, which means that the, the 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 executives are working as employees for the REIT. They are not earning fees based on the assets and the management. Instead, they will be earning salaries based on the real performance of the REIT. So it's going to better align the interest between the manager and the shareholder. Uh, so yeah, I think that those are really the main differences and also the reason why I prefer REITs versus syndications. Well, that's a good segue to the next question. We were just going to ask you, you know, what, what's the advantage of a REIT uh, for someone who wants to kind of get into real estate investing as opposed to maybe direct investment in real estate? Um, and then maybe you can kind of along with that, you know, what's a typical return? You know, that's hard to estimate, I know, but kind of give an idea there and, and a time horizon for an investment like this too. I could give you a really long answer to this question because I really enjoy this topic of REITs versus rental properties or syndications. Uh, I'm going to make it a bit shorter and we can then expand on it. But in short here, I think that REITs offer better returns in most cases than private real estate. They're also safer than private real estate in most cases. And on top of that, you also enjoy many other benefits here because this is, you know, it's going to improve, I think, your lifestyle and also allow you to really focus on your career. Uh, so those, in short, better returns, lower risk, and you it Im actually improves your lifestyle, which is not always the case with rental properties. Oh man, shots fired. Shots fired on the, on the, on the rental property one. Love it. Um, well, well, so let me ask you this, but haven't REITs 
had a pretty bad, you know, year and a half, two years here. And, you know, what would you say to the owner of maybe some single family rentals or duplexes out here in the States that, uh, uh, haven't seen their, their properties come down by that much at this point, you know, how how would you make that argument to somebody who's in that position? So you're, you're, you're totally right. Rates are down heavily in the recent past. They've dropped by about 30% on average since the beginning of 2022. And so over the short run, you're going to have time periods when when private real estate is going to do far better than REITs. But over long time periods of multiple decades, I believe that REITs are going to do better than rental properties. And uh, there, is a, there, are, there are studies to back this up. There's also strong reasoning behind uh, this, uh, this, uh, this argument. And we can go into these, these, this reasoning in more detail if you want to. Absolutely. Let's, let's, let's do it. That sounds like a, 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 a fun topic here. Do you want me to give you the long, long answer or the shorter one for this? Because I can make it really long and comprehensive. We want you to make the, the strongest case you have and to nerd out to the best of your ability on the topic. That's, that's the fun thing. That, that's where everyone gets smarter. So why rates are more rewarding than rental properties in most cases? Um, before I dive into this, I think it's very important to correct some misconceptions that are very common on this topic. The first misconception that I see all the time is investors will assume that REITs are less rewarding because you cannot buy REITs with a mortgage. But this reasoning is wrong because REITs already leveraged investments. When you're buying shares of a REIT, you're buying the equity. And so it's the equivalent of your down payment. REITs will then add leverage on top of it in the form of a mortgage or it can also be in the form of bonds, uh, convertibles, preferred equity, lots of different uh, forms of capital to leverage your, your equity. And so you enjoy the same benefit as if you were buying a rental property. I would argue that you enjoy even better benefits of leverage because REITs in most cases might get better terms than you could because these are large, diversified, publicly listed companies. Uh, banks are, will be much happier to work with those than with a small rental property investor, which is typically a riskier profile. So that's the first misconception to get out of the way. Then the second one that I see often is that people assume that REITs are less rewarding because they must pay their managers uh, large salaries. And so investors will assume that they, they can save those expenses by taking care of their properties themselves. But, but you know, and it's, it's true that REITs are paying millions to their top executives, but because they enjoy such a large scale, uh, the management cost as a percentage of the total assets is actually going to be very small and much smaller than that of private properties in most cases. Um, here we can take the example of realty income, which is one of the most popular REITs in the world, maybe the most popular. Its management cost as a percentage of its total assets is just 30 basis points every year. Um, if you own a rental property and you outsource the management to a property manager, it's going to be a lot more expensive than this. If you do it yourself and you actually count how many hours you spend on it, give some dollar amount to this uh, to, to account for the value of your labor, it's also going to be more expensive in most cases. Then the third misconception is on taxes. Rental property investors think that they enjoy the best tax benefits, that REITs are not even comparable. But once more, this is not really the case in my opinion. I actually pay le less taxes investing in REITs than in rental properties. And so Rental properties are very tax efficient. I agree with this. Uh, they, a big part of this is the non-cash depreciation, which allows you to defer a lot of the taxes far into the future. But REITs enjoy very similar benefits. Uh, for one, REITs in most cases will retain about 30 to 40% of their cash flow in the four, within the company. 
remember that the rule of 90% applies to taxable income, which is much lower than cash flow because of non-cash depreciation. And so whatever the REIT is going to retain in most cases, 30 to 40% is not taxed because REITs don't pay corporate income tax. It's fully tax deferred. Then secondly, a portion of the dividend income is typically going to be classified as return of capital. This is also fully tax deferred. Then third thing to consider is that the, the portion of the dividend income that's actually taxed is going to enjoy a 20% deductible. Uh, so that reduces your taxes even further. And then fourth and final here, um, REITs will typically invest in lower yielding, faster growing properties like um, e-commerce warehouses, data centers, cell towers, and so on. And so a larger portion of their returns is going to come from long-term growth and appreciation, which once more is fully tax deferred. Um, and if all of that is not enough, you could just put your rates in a, in a tax deferred account and defer the rest of it. So there's not a significant advantage here for rentals, despite seeing that all the time in various comment sections debating this topic. And then the final misconception is I see all the time rental property investors claim that uh, they are earning 20, 25, 30% uh, annual total returns. Um, in some rare cases, this may be the case, but in most cases, I think that they are simply miscalculating their returns. Uh, Warren Buffett became the richest investor on earth by compounding at 20% per year. So I just don't buy into it that your average rental property investor is doing better than that by doing it as a side gig. I think what's happening here is that they are miscalculating their returns in two ways. Uh, the first and most important is that they are not accounting for the value of their own labor. They will uh, you know, spend countless hours finding the right deal, um, negotiating it, financing it, then uh, finding the, renovating it, finding the tenant, managing the property and so on. And really it's countless hours that goes into it. If you now decided that each hour is worth $30 and you deducted this amount from your returns, you would see that a very big portion of your return is actually just your labor. It's not the return on your invested capital. Um, and I think you really should deduct this because you could use all this productive time to work extra hours at your main job or a, a side hustle or anything else. So, so if you want to really see the real return on your invested capital, you need to deduct this. And then secondly, I think that investors will also commonly make the mistake of looking at their typical year, the typical good year. Uh, they will, let's say it's 15%, 20%, the return on, on the, your typical year. But in real estate, you, you have good years. Let's say you have five good years. And then on year six, you have some major expenses because you need to reinvest in your property. This may cost you one or even two years of rental income. If you now calculate the average return over these six years, your, your return is going to come down quite a bit. So, so now with these misconceptions out of the way, uh, we can uh, discuss a few research studies that have been made on this topic comparing the returns of REITs versus those of private real estate as well as private equity real estate fund. You want to say something, Scott? I, I just, you know, because I, I, we, we have a lot of real estate investors who are probably like, he's kind of right on a couple of those points. I want to agree with you and then provide a couple of other things for your reaction here for a second. So first, I want to see your $30 an hour of finding a good deal and raise you. I think that in order to buy a rental property responsibly, you need to put in, and, and you'll find many of our investors do, hundreds of hours of self-education, like like the one that perhaps folks are consuming right now, listening to this podcast, right? Which is valuable time. Maybe you're doing something else or driving or at the gym or whatever. 
while you're listening to this, but that is uh, uh, on top of the time that you've just described there. Um, about the dollar per hour value of that time, I often have thought that real estate's a really valuable activity for someone to get into when they're perhaps a lower or middle or maybe even lower upper middle class, if that makes any sense, like right in those ranges. Because, you know, if you're a doctor or a lawyer, you're probably not going to want to put in all those hours at 30, 40, $50 an hour, um, depending on what you, how you value that time at, at that point in time. But it can be rewarding, um, at more rewarding than many side hustles that are available to you, uh, if your dollar per hour time is less. Than that, for example. So I think you see a lot of folks. And once you pay that price to get into it for the first five years and know how to do all this, you can then reap the benefits for the rest of your career. So that's one uh, nuance, I think, to your argument that I largely agree with, uh, you see, on um, around uh, straight rental property investing. And then I want to give you one challenge and see how you react to it um, on this. One of the things that I enjoy, I think, is an advantage as a real estate investor with a portfolio here in Denver over my competition in the, or my alternative choice in investing in REITs is the ability to have used and to continue to use fixed 30 year low interest rate, uh, debt that reduces my risk and maybe amplifies my returns in a way that, uh, REITs are typically not able to access with the same, um, the same low risk and low rates. Would you agree with that as a, as a potential advantage for the, the little guy here? Definitely. Those are two good counterpoints. And I agree with you here. And I also, I, I don't want to sound here as if I'm just bashing on private real estate. Uh, I think private real estate is a great investment. I'm just making the argument that I think that REITs are slightly better in most cases for most people. This is awesome. We want, we want the listeners to get a challenge and to think outside of the box. And, you know, you're both kind of touching on something here that everyone needs to realize what kind of investor they are. Um, what's your hourly wage normally? What, what do you desire to do with your time? If you're a professional and, you know, like the, the pa- publicly traded REITs are, by magnitude more passive than anything you can do on your own in real estate. I mean, that, that in itself, if, and we'll get into these research studies you were referencing. I, I would love to hear about this next. Um, but that in itself, even if someone were to, to prove, you know, I can do a lot better if I do it on my own in real estate, even with my hourly wage, even if they can kind of make that case, you, in my opinion, you actually, you need to do quite a bit better because if, if you're putting that much time and your resources into it and it's only a little bit better, well, man, I, that, that's not worth it if you can be fairly passive with these publicly traded REITs. And to, to reinforce UC, uh, UC's point here, you know, in the, those, those high returns, 20, 15, 20, 25%, maybe they are being achieved by some real estate investors. But if so, it's typically going to be in the first few years of the hold and it only can be sustained if you're consistently applying very high leverage um, to those deals. And that maybe is another exa- advantage that the uh, the little guy enjoys um, over REITs where they can actually leverage much higher, up to 75% LTV with this kind of fixed rate debt. Uh, and in, in the acquisition, 85 or even 95 to 100, you know, 100% if you're an owner-occupant in those first deals. Um, so maybe that's a, a, a part of that as well. And then one last thing I'll, I'll also throw in there uh, before we we let you resume your wonderful thoughts here, you see, is, is the uh, efficient efficiency of the market, right? Uh, a, a listener might argue uh, with you and say, well, REITs are already priced appropriately because smart guys like UC are constantly debating the actual, the, the value of those things. But there's a lot of good deals to be found in my local neighborhood because I know 
how to add a bedroom or do the do the work there to to create some value on the on the upswing. So, so those are those are three very good counterpoints. I want to quickly address all three of them. The first one was on the hourly wage, and I, I completely agree with you that the more you value your time, uh, the less sense it's going to make to invest in rental properties. If you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, or you're you're a busy entrepreneur that's earning a good amount of profits through his own business, then probably buying rental properties makes less sense. But then, yeah, if your hourly wage is relatively low, it makes more sense. But even then, you know, if you count to really calculated all the amount of time you're spending educating yourself and then finding the deals, doing all the work, even if you valued your time, let's say $15 per hour, I would argue that the returns would change very drastically in most cases, and it becomes quite a bit less rewarding. But here you could also make the argument that if it's work you enjoy, then it makes sense. And a lot of people enjoy this type of work. Uh, but then to your second point, and this is probably, the, I think, the strongest argument in favor of investing in private real estate. And I myself own some private real estate. This is one of the reasons why uh, you, you can really use even more leverage. And in some specific cases, I think it makes sense uh, with some limits, though. There are some limitations to it. Uh, but, but, you know, REITs, they, they typically don't use quite as much leverage but on the flip side, they're going to be having, they're going to have access to a much larger variety of capital, as I mentioned earlier. So they can use mortgages, they can use bonds, convertibles, preferred equity. Typically, REITs will have a bunch of debt. Let's say they will have a 40 or 50% LTV, and then they'll add still a bit of preferred equity to leverage your common equity even more. Uh, so, so you're still getting a very good, uh, you know, bump from all of that leverage as a common shareholder of a, of a REIT, even if it's, not quite as much of that in the case of a private rental property, perhaps. And then your third counterpoint, that was, um, what was it again? Can, can you remind me quickly? I, I wasn't counting all my counterpoints. Uh, <laughs> I wish I could remember okay. too. <laughs> okay. I think, I think it was the, uh, the hourly rate of time can be worth it. The, uh, uh, the, the, and then the leverage. The local neighborhood. The local neighborhood. Yes. The yeah, efficient market. Right. The efficiencies of the market. So, so I agree that there are inefficiencies in the private market then. But I would argue that this applies very much also to the public REIT market because when you think of REITs, they're a bit of an odd category because, you know, they are right in between real estate and stocks. And real estate investors typically don't trust the stock market. And then stock market investors typically don't understand real estate. And as a result, you have quite frequent mispricings happening in the REIT sector. Um, I'm, I'm a dedicated REIT analyst and I specialize in this sector, but there aren't actually that many people doing what I'm doing. Uh, and this is part of the reason why I have this platform today at such a young age, because there are just not many people doing this. Um, most investors in the REIT segment, they are generalist uh, investment firms, you know, generalist analysts looking at them with relatively little understanding about real estate. And so not surprisingly, you have mispricing Zucker. Uh, I could point you to several examples of REITs, and we can discuss this later, that are today priced at very large discounts to the value of their properties. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest? Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost. So combined finances become a breeze. 
customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split, with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, supporting local economies, and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors, but if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Don't miss this opportunity to back Main Street over Wall Street and start earning passive real estate income. Learn more about investing with Pine at pinefinancialgroup.com BP. That's pinefinancialgroup.com BP. Um. But so these are my three quick counter counterpoints uh, to your counterpoints, which I think are, are valid and very good. 
but so there, there are a few research studies that have been made on this topic comparing the returns of both. And the, the, the main conclusion here is that real REITs typically outperform private real estate by about 2 to 4% per year on average. And this may sound surprising to some of you, but I think it's a result that's very much expected because REITs enjoy significant economies of scale in their management, which we discussed earlier. They also enjoy significant economies of scale in all their other costs. Uh, let's take the example of an apartment REIT here that does a deal with a contractor in a specific city to change 100 carpets each year. Uh, naturally, it's going to get a much better rate with this contractor than you could as a private rental investor changing one carpet every year. Um, but this applies to really every cost. Uh, they're going to pay less brokerage fees. They're going to, even their property taxes, REITs are going to have legal team uh, working for them full time. They're going to be able to fight the property tax hikes and, and so on. So, so they're able to be much more cost efficient on every level. Then REITs will typically also develop their own properties to earn higher returns and create value for shareholders. This requires a lot of skill and resources. Most private investors are not able to do that themselves. Um, REITs have better access to a wide variety of capital, which allows them to really take advantage of some, uh, you know, uh, distortion in the market. Sometimes they're priced at a discount to the NAV. They can buy back shares, creating value for shareholders. Sometimes they're priced at a premium to NAV. They can issue equity in the public market, raise it, buy more properties at a positive spread, which then results in cash on, in growth on a cash flow per share basis. Um, what else? REITs have the best talent working for them. That obviously helps. They're able to pay them very generously because of their large scale and it's still very much cost efficient. Um, REITs can also enter other real estate related businesses to earn additional profits thanks to their platform. To give you an example here, Farmland Partners, which is one of the biggest farmland REITs, it has also a brokerage business. So it's going to help some third parties sell their farmland and earn fees. You as a shareholder, you participate in, in these profits as well. So I think these are the main reasons why REITs have been able to be, have been more rewarding in the past uh, in, in, according to those studies. And in my opinion, it makes sense. How about, uh, syndicate, how about syndications? We've seen a lot of headlines in the last year about syndicators. There's a lot of social media folks who raised a lot of money and built a big name and built syndications. And many of those are in trouble. Some have, are going to jail and others are facing lawsuits here. Are we seeing those kinds of distractions and problems in the REIT space, or is that more limited to this kind of syndication or private fund market, um, the private REIT market? So bankruptcies in the REIT sector, especially for public REITs, are extremely rare. And you know, I think we've had a handful of them over the past 10 years. And when you think of it, it makes sense that they are rare because most REITs are conservatively financed. They are widely diversified. In most cases, they're going to own class A properties. And so it's, it's quite hard to screw it up. There are some exceptions. The few bankruptcies have been mall REITs that were over leveraged. And so it can happen, but it's really rare in the REIT sector. Um, considering the, the syndicators, it's much more common because there are much greater conflicts of interest and they will typically use a lot more leverage and they will also be concentrated. So again, normal, it's quite normal that this happens. Uh, the operators, the sponsors also might not be quite as skilled. Perhaps they are skilled at raising capital, but not quite as skilled at actually investing that capital. Um, if you ask me, I would think that these syndications are actually the worst option of all if you're going to invest in, in real estate, especially those that have been promoted heavily by 
you know, influencers who have questionable uh, backgrounds in the real estate space. Uh, I think that it's a much better option perhaps to do it, learn it and do it yourself than invest in some of those syndications that I've seen online. And I'm sure there are exceptions. This doesn't apply to all of them, but some that I've seen online suffer extremely large conflicts of interest. They're just incentivized basically to do as many deals as they can, just deploy the capital, whether the deal is good or not. They charge huge fees, which will really impact your bottom line. And then they will use way too much leverage. Uh, and so then they end up in these situations that you just had mentioned. Yeah, I think I think you really highlighted on something there that we want to make sure like this is we are painting a pretty, a pretty, pretty picture of publicly traded REITs, which it's very good. I mean, this is I, this is awesome for our listeners to hear this way of investing in real estate that does not include a property with the sewer line breaking and you having to spend three years of rental income to fix it. Um, but we also need to, you know, you see, let us know some of the risks that are out there. You know, I know some from my CFP background, some of the products that exist, they're not all publicly traded on exchanges. There are non-traded public REITs. There are things you're talking a little bit on high commission products, uh, high fee or high fee products. There's some high commission products that are brokered through broker dealers. You know, there's other, there's other things out there. So if, if an investor is hearing a REIT to invest in, it doesn't necessarily mean this publicly traded, uh, with a ticker symbol REIT, um, which it could be, and it could, there could also be some risks there, but maybe just hit on like the biggest risks you see. If someone's like, I need to go down this avenue of looking at real estate investment trusts, what are they, what's a red flag they need to watch out for? Yeah, th that's a great point. And perhaps I should have clarified this a bit earlier in the call that most of the time, you know, when I'm referring to REITs, I'm really referring to the publicly listed REITs which are very different from the private non-traded rates, uh, which are, in my opinion, I mean, I will put them in the same category as the syndications that I discussed earlier. In most cases, they're not any better. They exist in many cases for the main purpose of extracting fees from investors. Uh, they, they will be externally managed. They will earn a fee based on the total volume of assets under management. They might also earn acquisition fees, disposition fees that will incentivize them to trade in and out of properties, um, they will try to raise as much capital as they can to maximize their fee income. And that's not in the interest of the shareholder or the investor in most cases. They will also use too much leverage. Um, there are commissions, as you mentioned, also quite often. So that's a super awesome overview of the risks. And I just want to, I just want to highlight one of those risks a little bit deeper, just because of me experiencing it. When I, the firm that I first started at, um, you know, when someone's looking for a financial planner, you want to look for a fee only financial planner. You want someone who you're going to pay, you know what they're, you're paying them. And a lot of, there's a lot of products out there from insurance to investments to non traded public REITs that offer a commission to certain types of financial advisors. And I guarantee someone's listening to this podcast who has been offered one of these by a quote financial advisor. So if you're hearing, uh, from a someone who could potentially sell you a financial product, if you're hearing about a REIT, you need to ask a lot of questions because sometimes these they're they're called non-traded public REITs. So they have the word public in there, which makes them sound like they're traded on an exchange, but they're non-traded. So basically, the structure of them is the advisor quote advisor that's selling it to you 
often gets a 7 to 10% commission for selling you this product. And there's basically, they'll give you a time frame of a potential liquidity event, and it's usually four to seven years or something like that. But it can be 20 years. It can be no, it can be never if it was at the top of the recession, which I saw some of these sold to people and they just completely went to nothing. Um, and, but this is what UC has talked about. Some of these, they, they over leverage, they got too excited and the products are created to make fees for the managers and make commissions for the people selling them. Not that the people selling them are that are bad people, but you just need to ask questions because th- this is a product that is in uh, offices of financial institutions that you know the names of, and they will come up if you have any decent amount of net worth. These will pr- be presented to you as an alternative in- investment of some sort. So just keep your ears open for that. Uh, what UC's talking about are publicly traded REITs that have the scale, have the low fees that can really be a passive investment. And they have liquidity too. That's something we haven't really touched on here. You know, The liquidity of a publicly traded REIT, it, it functions essentially a lot like a mutual fund from a trading standpoint, if you want to move in and out of most of these. Yeah, no, you're correct. I mean, uh, if, if you're buying a publicly listed REIT, it's, it's just like any other publicly listed company, you can, it's quite easy to buy the shares. It's quite easy to get out of it as well. Um, if you're individual investor, you probably don't going to run into liquidity issues with a publicly listed company. But then, yeah, there are these public non-traded REITs. And uh, with those, it's quite different. I mean, one, the biggest one in the world is one run by Blackstone. And it's quite a good uh, pub- public non-traded REIT, actually. It's maybe one of the best. Uh, so th- by the way, there are some exceptions. Some of them can be decently good uh, even though I still probably wouldn't invest in them. But so Blackstone and its public non-traded REIT recently run into this issue. It has a redemption plan that allows investors to gradually get out of the REIT if they want to. But if too many of them suddenly want to get out, then they have to just halt it and it's not possible. And that's what they, they experienced recently. Um, but but yeah, liquidity with public publicly listed REIT, in my opinion, is a major advantage I feel like a lot of real estate investors see it, see it more as a disadvantage because it leads to volatility at times, like we experienced now in the recent years. But if you're a long-term oriented investor with a landlord mindset, you can really take advantage of this liquidity then to pick up more shares at heavily discounted prices. So let's, yeah, so let's dive into, <clears throat> all right, we've defined all the other alternatives to the word REIT. <laughs> We know you're what when, when you're using the word REIT, you see you're talking about a publicly traded REIT. Let's talk about that market and good and bad within the sector. Now that we've kind of thoroughly dissected the alternatives in the, the landscape here, where are we at uh, from a, a overall status in the market? We talked about it being down, and where where should people be looking? Where are you looking for good and bad in the space at this point? Yeah, so. It's a very vast and versatile sector. There are over 200 publicly listed REITs in the US alone. There are also 30 additional countries in the world that now have REITs or REIT-like entities. So it's a really vast and versatile sector. And while I may sound like I'm very bullish on REIT and I only have good things to say about REITs, this really isn't the case in reality. Um, there are a lot of REITs that I will stay away, away from. Um, some that are publicly listed still suffer management issues, despite most of them being well aligned with shareholders. Um, good example from the top of my head is a read called Global Netlist, ticker symbol GNL. It it has attractive properties, but over the long run, it has just done very very poorly for its shareholders because the the management has really looked out for its own interest, in my opinion. Um, then there are also some property sectors that you probably want to stay away from today. 
Well, the most obvious one that probably comes to the mind of most people are offices. Um, myself, uh, staying away from offices, the valuations may seem cheap today because they've come down quite a bit. But, you know, if you now account for all the capex, the leverage and so on, perhaps the valuations aren't that cheap. So, so that's one sector to stay away from. Um, there are some others as well that I'm not quite as bullish. I'm, I don't like hotels quite as much. I don't like data centers. Or they, they, so there are many sectors that you don't, I don't like. There are also some countries that I'm not as bullish on as others. They, um, there are some exceptions of REITs that are also way over leveraged. Today, the average long-to-value in the REIT sector is only about 40%. It's even a bit less than that. So, so that's very conservative, but some REITs have decided to take on more risk and, and today they are paying the consequences following the surge in interest rate. So, so the bad stuff to look for really is, you know, the wrong property sector at the wrong time, then some overleveraged balance sheet. There are some exceptional REITs that are poorly managed. And then finally, one point that you want to also consider is that while REITs valuation have come down a lot, there are still some REITs that are priced quite aggressively when you, when you account for the higher interest rates today. And, and so, while I'm bullish on the sector, it's still one in which you need to be very selective. What, what do you make of the fact that a lot in a lot of commercial and multifamily real estate sectors, cap rates, the amount of cash flow a property, the percentage of, of cash flow a property will generate as rel- relative to its purchase price, are are lower than interest rates uh, in, in in a lot of cases. Like, do you think that there's a lot of room for these prices to come down in a lot of these sectors or, or, you know, should we st- be afraid of REITs for the near time or, or is it a buying opportunity because it's already down 30%? Yeah. So I think it depends heavily on what's your expectation for interest rates in the coming years. I mean, one of the reasons why the cap rates haven't moved that much in the private market, I think is because most investors are predicting that interest rates are going to come down in the coming years. I think it's worth remembering here that, I mean, the reason why interest rates were hiked so much is because we're dealing with high inflation. I think I still buy into the, in, the, the, the idea that the inflation was transitory. Now uh, it happened because of the pandemic, the stimulus, then uh, Russia's brutal invasion of Ukraine obviously also made things worse. But then we hiked interest rates. Now inflation is coming back down. Um, if you adjust for real time shelter, I think it's already backed at the target rate of the Fed of 2%. And so do we need these high interest rates for, for much longer? Um, I would argue, I mean, anyone who makes predictions about interest rates are always wrong. I'll put that out there. But, but I would probably argue that it's quite likely that interest rates will come down in the coming years. And if that's the case, then perhaps cap rates won't expand quite as much. Then another reason why cap rates haven't expanded so much is because rent growth has been so strong in many of these property sectors. Inflation was hot. And so rents were also rising. And so investors were willing to sacrifice on the cap rate to get this this growth because they could see the normalized forward cap rates being quite a bit higher once those rents uh, get get hiked in the future. Um, but yes, I mean, would I buy an apartment community in in Dallas, Texas, at a four and a half percent cap rate today? I probably wouldn't. But would I buy? A REIT that specializes in tax and apartment communities at an implied cap rate of six and a half percent or even seven percent, that's much more attractive to me. And this is because REITs are so heavily discounted today. That's an awesome argument. Love that. Yes. I think you touched on something right there. You know, the behavior of these publicly traded REITs behaves a lot, the trading behavior 
I'll say the trading behavior behaves a lot like a mutual fund or a stock as far as emotional upswings and downswings. And then when you advise people to invest in those sort of things, a lot of times dollar cost averaging is the simple, easy, lazy way to invest over the long term and a good way. And if you're doing these publicly traded REITs, when, you, when you're investing in a mutual fund like VTSAX, an index fund, you see a 30% drop in the market. What do you think if you're a really good investor and you have a really good long-term time horizon and that's your goal? This is, this is a garage sale. This is the strongest argument in favor of REITs specifically today. Um, you know, if you go in the private market, you go buy your rental property, Prices are pretty high. Um, you're going to go to your bank, ask for a mortgage. Interest rates are also really high. But if you today go in the REIT market, there are plenty of REITs priced at huge discounts relative to the value of their private properties net of debt. Um, in late 2022, the investment firm Janus and Henderson came out with, uh, with a study that showed that REITs were priced on average at a 28% discount to the net asset value. Since then, REIT share prices have come down a bit further, even as their rents have kept on growing. And, and so, and that's just the average. There are a lot of REITs that are priced at even lower valuations than this. And so let, we can maybe take a, a, an example here to illustrate my point. Uh, BSR REIT is, is a small cap REIT that owns a portfolio of apartment communities within the Texan triangle. So, uh, Dallas, Austin and Houston, which would probably argue as some of the agree as some of the most, you know, attractive markets for long term oriented investors because they're attracting, there are a lot of growth happening in them. Um, rent to income ratios are still very low compared to other, other major cities in the US. Um, and, and yet, despite that, and also, well, the REIT has a strong management team. They, they own a lot of shares themselves. They are buying back shares today. They're doing what's right with shareholders. They have a strong balance sheet with an LTV of about 40%. And despite that, today, they are priced a huge discount to the net asset value. Um, they, the, the, the NAV is about $21 per share and they trade at about $12 per share today. So that's a 40% discount. So you're essentially buying an interest in this portfolio of apartment communities at uh, roughly yeah, 60 cents on the dollar. And that's very compelling to me. Um, and then on top of that, you also get to buy an interest in these properties and then you assume the debt of this rate, which is mostly fixed rate and has long maturities. And so, you, you also get the benefit of these cheaper interest rates of the previous years, which you wouldn't get if you're buying a property today in the private market. I, I think this is awesome. And what a fantastic thing to end on there as a potential example for folks to, to go in and, and take a look at. Um, what, what do you do all day? Uh, you see, what, what is, what is your profession right now and where can people find out more about you? Um, as you said in the intro, I run a small investment firm that specializes in rate investing. It's called Lumber Capital. Um, we, we manage our own capital, but we also offer some research services, um, really three types. We have a newsletter called High Yield Landlord that's hosted on Seeking Alpha. We also offer customized research services to larger REIT investors like family offices, small private equity firms. And then we also provide some consulting services to some REITs themselves to help them improve the investor communications. Uh, so, so that's really taking a big chunk of my time on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, Investing is really my passion and business in general is my passion. And so, so I'm pretty much doing this the whole day. So on Seeking Alpha, as I said, we are host, we have our newsletter called Hired Landlord. There is a two week free trial. If I can put a little plug in here in case you want to access my REIT portfolio. Um, then on top of that, I recently created a YouTube channel. Uh, I, I created it earlier this year. So it's still relatively small, but we are now approaching the 10,000 subscribers. So if you can help us 
past that that would be really appreciative. What's it called? If you type UC Ascola in, in the search bar, you'll find me. But the, the handle, I think, is Ask Ascola, A-S-K-J-U-S-S-I. Uh, it's the same handle also on Twitter, where I post some daily news on the read sector. Everyone needs to go and check out yeah, UC Ascola's stuff. We'll link to it all in the show notes here. And you can go check out the YouTube channel on High Yield Landlord. That's where I found you is on Seeking Alpha um, with a lot of the stuff you put you put out there. Uh, thanks for all the value you add to the community and your very compelling arguments in favor of reads today. It was a true privilege to learn from you. And, uh, I think Kyle and I had a ton of fun. So really appreciate it. Um, really, really respect your intelligence and the, the approach you take to investing in the sector. Thank you very much, Scott. And, uh, to end this, I also wanted to add that, you know, er when I was still in high school, I was already uh, reading, I think it was bigger pockets. I was, uh, and throughout my college as well, later on, I've, I've been, uh, very actively following your YouTube channel, all your, the content you put out there on your website. So, so it's been an inspiration for me. And, uh, and so, so I really appreciate that. All right, Kyle, that was UC Escola. what do you think of today's show? Uh, it's always good when, you're somebody and they make you want to change your whole investment philosophy. So, I mean, he just threw some great stuff out there that makes you really think through if you're a real estate investor and you're doing it on your own or very directly, the, the incredible benefits of not doing that, of doing it more passively and letting more professionals do it in these larger funds. Uh, he just has a depth of knowledge that we just totally took advantage of today. And, and it was great. Oh yeah, I mean this. Uh, how how can how can you not help but leave today's episode just totally in total admiration of UC? You know, it, who who knows who's going to be right in the long term, thirty years from now, which is going to perform which other way? But what a really well reasoned, well crafted argument! What a clear level of depth and understanding and due diligence over years, maybe a decade plus um, of just. I would, I would call it an obsession that I got from him in understanding every intricate detail of this market, the risks, the puts and takes, opportunities within subsectors, how management's compensated, understanding debt structures, all that kind of stuff. I mean, this is a true, true expert. And, and I, I walked away admiring and, and, and really respecting his argument, even though I'm, I'm on the other side of it as a, a single family, you know, and small multifamily rental property investor personally. I probably will look into some rents and like, or, or some rents to into some REITs. Uh, and, and I, like I told you, I follow his newsletter and, 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 um, really respect a lot of his analysis. Yeah. I think this is just a huge benefit to the listeners because this, this fits a certain investor type. Everyone has a different goal. Everyone has a different life stage. Everyone has different circumstances as far as what they're doing with their time. And REITs are, if you are really into real estate and you want that to be a big part of your investments, uh, this is another great way to do it. And we touched about on it a little bit in the episode as far as like what your time is worth. Um, and that, that really comes into play. I mean, I, during the episode, I was constantly thinking about terrible properties I've had where I've spent a lot of time where I shouldn't have. I was just two nights at one of my short term rentals, uh, spending a lot of time there. I think it was worth it. We're doing a big renovation needed to be there, but I, it just, all these things are making me think and evaluate. And an episode like this makes, whether you continue to stay in your more direct investing in the in real estate, that's fine. But just make sure that you listen to an episode like this to give you another perspective to make sure you're making the decision that you should be making. And, and I also thought he really handled my my challenge of well, hey, if everything's down thirty percent. Like, if that's not a crash, what's a crash uh, in the sector? You know, I, I think over long over the long run, you know, he's probably he's got a very good reasoned argument, and in the short run. 
hey, there's just a crash in the sector. Maybe it's something to go and look into and and do some research on um, as a listener for for your own personal position. Maybe maybe there's opportunity there, and maybe now's the time. Um, if you can, if if that's true, and you can verify it with your own due diligence, hey, there's a four four and a half cap in Dallas. That's pretty tough right now to believe in a lot of rent growth in the next couple of years. But if it, if a REIT is Oh, that owns a bunch of them is trading at six and a half an implied six and a half cap rate. That's a really compelling argument. Um, obviously you gotta go do your own due diligence and, um, run all that stuff for yourself. But, um, what is simple, but powerful. Definitely. Yeah. Huge benefit to, to knowing more about this way of investing. Well, should we get out of here, Kyle? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, from this episode of the bigger pockets money podcast, he is Kyle Mast and I am Scott Trench saying won't be long little fawn. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple. And if you're looking for even more money content, feel free to visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash biggerpocketsmoney. Bigger Pockets Money was created by Mindy Jensen and Scott Trench. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Exodus Media. Copywriting by Nate Weintraub. Lastly, a big thank you to the Bigger Pockets team for making this show possible. Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions.